So I want to ask you a question to get us into today's sermon. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a crisis? I'm pretty sure I know that everybody's answer to that question is yes, because we actually know for a fact that in life, crises are going to come. We experience crises of all different shapes and sizes. And, you know, in advance, I'm sorry that I'm starting off by talking about crisis, but we just, we got to talk about crisis to get where we're going to go in. Um, think for a second about how you feel when crisis comes, right? Maybe your heart rate increases or your stomach kind of drops out. I mean, crises are really challenging experiences to go through. But more often than not, you also know that when a crisis comes, we instinctively ask, what should I do? Right? Have you, have you been there? Like you're looking at what's in front of you and you just go, what in the world am I supposed to do? There's a kind of crisis that uh, my wife experiences somewhat often. She is a mom baby nurse, so she takes care of brand new little babies. And one of the kinds of crises that she encounters on a, a scarily regular basis is a baby is born and it's not breathing. And sure enough, I mean, the parents in the room and, and all the nurses or medical providers in the room, they go, what should I do? But for my wife and medical professionals, there's another part of this story. Namely, that they know when a crisis hits and I say, what should I do? They know that training answers that question in advance. I mean, if I was in a hospital room with a baby that wasn't breathing, not only would I be freaking out, I'd have no idea what to do. But my wife tells me because she has passed her neonatal resuscitation program, she's got a certificate, and so she knows exactly what to do. Because that is what training does. Even though we don't always know what the crisis will be or when it will come, when we train well, we are more prepared when crisis comes our way. I mean, think about it. Think of a time that you have trained hard in life. Maybe you've trained hard because you've been part of a sports team. Maybe you've trained hard because of some new responsibility at work. Maybe you trained hard or prepared well for your marriage. Or maybe you trained hard or prepared well when you became a parent. We know that training prepares us to respond better in crisis. So that when we go, what should I do? We already know the answer. But here's the thing. If we know that training is helpful in relationships or in careers or in physical endeavors, what about training for life in general? Let me ask it this way. How are you training for life? Not just for some specific category of life, but if we know beyond a doubt that crisis is going to come, and if we know when that crisis comes and the stomach drops out and we say, ah, what am I going to do? Then it makes all the sense in the world that we would purposefully train for life. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today as we continue in our sermon series called One where we learn about the one God who establishes his one church, gives that church one mission, which becomes the one focus of everybody who calls themselves a Jesus follower. 
And we've been following recently through the life of Paul. He's a man who, as the author of Acts, a guy named Luke, tells us, Paul used to make his living persecuting and murdering Christians, but God got a hold of his life, and so now Paul is spreading the good news of Jesus and starting churches. He used to try and destroy churches, and now because of God, he is starting churches. Well, the last few chapters of the book of Acts, we've had to kind of skim over, but they basically tell the story about how Paul is going to town after town after town. He's telling the good news about Jesus. He's saying, hey, Jesus changed my life. Jesus can change your life too. Jesus forgave my sins. Jesus will forgive your sins too. And man, that is a sweet freedom and joy. But as we're going to read, he comes to a new city, a town called Corinth, still a modern-day town that was around even then more than 2,000 years ago. And when he gets to Corinth, he runs into a little bit of a crisis situation. But it turns out that Paul didn't therefore say, what should I do? In fact, he apparently knew exactly what he was going to do. And the text gives us a few clues about how I think maybe the reason Paul knew what to do is because he had already been training for whatever life might throw his way. And so here's my hope. My hope is that by reading God's word, by learning from the example of Paul, maybe you and I can have a little more intentional plan for how we are training for life as well. If you want to open your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Um, You can grab the program notes off our church website, centcov.org. Click the little button that says, This Week at Centennial. Every week we update that page to get you the program notes. Uh, You can also grab the Bible app. Uh, It's a great way to engage with our teaching for the week, with the scripture. And it's right in a fantastic app that you can use to study God's word on your own as well. But regardless of how you got it, uh, read now, hear these words from Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. 
there's a line right in the middle of that passage that if you're not attentive, you can just skip right over. But once you become aware of it, it kind of just shouts out about this whole context we read about. The line is, they opposed Paul and became abusive. They opposed Paul and became abusive. I mean, it's just one short little phrase, but when you stop and think about it, what in the world do you think that means? It actually doesn't take much because if you look back over the life of Paul, we know from his previous experiences what it means when people oppose him and become abusive. Already, Paul has had experiences where people have tried to put him in prison. He's already had experiences where he's been beaten repeatedly. He's had experiences where people have literally tried to kill him and come very close to succeeding. And so yet again, Paul is in Corinth, and it turns out that the people are opposing him and becoming abusive. I don't know about you, but if people are abusing me in this way, possibly even life-threatening, this is a major crisis moment. I mean, this is exactly the sort of thing that could cause me to kind of lose my head and freak out and start running around like a chicken with my head cut off. But Paul apparently is able to just continue moving forward, hardly breaking his stride. And I think the reason is because Paul has prepared well for this. He's trained for exactly this moment. And I want to draw out three things that I see in the text that I think indicate to us how Paul had trained and invite us to consider whether we might train for whatever crises might come our way in our lives as well. So I want to talk about three skills for life training. You know that if you're going to train well, you have to have some sort of a training plan. You need to have some sort of a workout that you go through that you know, if I do this work, if I learn these skills, then I will be better prepared. And the three skills that I see from this text are life integration, self-reflection, and paying attention. Let me say them again. We're going to learn the skills of life integration, self-reflection, and paying attention. Let's talk about the first one, life integration. It's interesting because another detail that the text tells us is Paul gets to Corinth and he meets a husband and wife. Their names were Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul immediately connects with them because it turns out they share the same profession. All of them are tent makers. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if I want to buy a tent, I go to REI. But apparently 2,000 years ago, if you wanted to buy a tent, you would talk to Paul or Priscilla, or Aquila. This was a thing that people did. This was Paul's profession. He talks about it numerous different times, how throughout his ministry of planting churches around the Roman Empire, he funded it largely by continuing to work as a tent maker. Sometimes churches would financially support him. Sometimes he was on his own. And so this was Paul's profession. But these professional contacts he made also naturally became disciples that he started to mentor. And we see that after Paul mentored Priscilla and Aquila, they would go on to mentor other people and have a powerful ministry as well. And that's really fascinating because it evidences to us that for Paul, 
His profession and his ministry were integrated. Paul didn't see these as two separate or distinct or fractured part of his lives. Rather, he saw them as one and the same to accomplish what God gave him to do. And so if that was significant for Paul, let me ask you, if you look at your life, if you look at all the different major areas of your life, your work, your family, your friendships, your hobbies, your you know, engagement with church, as you look at all those different parts of life, ask yourself, are you living a fractured life or an integrated life? If we can find a way to purposefully integrate our lives, then what we're going to find is, just like Paul, when crisis comes, instead of that crisis causing the fractures to harm us even more, rather we have the strength of integration to sustain us when challenges come up in any one part of life. So if you want to be somebody who knows you are training well for life, start by asking yourself this question. Am I living a fractured life or an integrated life? So Paul, he makes this ministry contact, but then things kind of don't go his way at the synagogue because Paul almost always starts by preaching to the Jewish people on the Sabbath, on the weekends at the synagogue. I mean, Paul demonstrates you can have a big impact with just what you do on your weekends, because Paul always preached at the synagogue. But when the people at the synagogue opposed him and abused him, he responded by saying, all right, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is another kind of incredible statement, because if you recall, just a few chapters ago, which wasn't that long ago, the idea of Paul ministering to Gentiles turned into a pretty big conflict among the church leadership. So much so that this question of ministry to the Gentiles, it led Paul to travel all the way to Jerusalem to have extended discussion and prayer over the question of what should our ministry be, just to the Jews or also to the Gentiles? This is evidence, Paul's willingness to continue ministering to the Gentiles, this is evidence of the second skill, what I'm calling self reflection. See, here's what we see in Paul's life. The reason he was so willing to quickly and immediately start ministering to the Gentiles was because he learned from his past experiences and decisions. And we just know this in life in general. When we look back at our past, when we look back at the experiences we have, we know that past decisions guide future actions. But that doesn't just happen by default. It only happens if we're purposefully stopping to reflect on the past, to learn the lessons of the past, and make sure that everything we're experiencing now lays a foundation for being more prepared in our future. That's what self-reflection does. It takes experience and changes it into education. It takes experience and changes it into wisdom. So let me ask you a couple more questions. Have you learned the lessons of your past? I know you've been through a lot. I know you've seen a lot. I know you've done a lot. And that experience is powerful if you learn from it. But you don't learn from it just on its own. You only learn for it if you stop to reflect on it and process it. Maybe with a friend, maybe with a family member, 
Maybe with a professional counselor. This is a huge part of what they do is they help us reflect on the past so that we can learn and be well-trained for our future. Have you learned the lessons of your past? Or another way to say it would be when you consider your past, are you laying a foundation for your future? Not just drifting through life wherever the tide takes you, but purposefully laying a foundation so that when the next crisis comes, you know you are more prepared. Well, the end of the story comes, and we find out that not only had Paul prepared by reflecting on his past, by making sure he lived an integrated life, but also the Lord spoke to Paul in the middle of this crisis. And what God said was, God, or what God said was, Paul, don't worry, you're not going to be harmed, it's going to be okay. Which only reinforces just how scary the circumstance must have been, Because if God is speaking to Paul, don't be afraid, that means Paul had good reason to be afraid. That's how scary this situation was. But the critical thing to notice is that Paul was able to hear God's voice when God spoke. So I'm labeling the third skill for life training, paying attention. We know... That in our life, God's speaking clarifies your doing. When crisis hits, when the decision comes, when you can hear the words that God speaks, it's going to clarify what you should do every single time. But there's two critical steps that need to be taken if we're going to actually hear God's voice when he speaks. The first step is to ask ourselves, do I know? The sound of God's voice. If I haven't done the training to learn the sound of God's voice, then when God speaks to me, I'm probably not going to hear him. Which brings us to why I named this practice paying attention. Because I think the best way to learn to hear the sound of God's voice so that you can say, I know what it sounds like, is by learning to turn your attention exclusively towards trying to hear God speak. I've actually been reading quite a bit recently about the idea of attention. There's an author, his name's Cal Newport. He wrote a great book. It's called Deep Work. And in this book, he talks a lot about the idea of attention, and he actually challenges a lot of us in a pretty big way. Have you known anybody, or are you the kind of person who likes to say, you know what, I'm a really good multitasker. I'm just really good at kind of having my attention and, and, you know, multiple different tasks at the same time. Well, Cal talks about the fact that there's actually a ton of research around this idea of multitasking, and he gives us some kind of sad news. From a neuroscience point of view, multitasking is a myth. It doesn't exist. Your brain is biologically capable. It's wired and designed to focus on one thing and only one thing at a time. What we call multitasking is actually your brain switching. Its attention is here and then here and then here and then here. And the people like me sometimes who thinks we're good at multitasking, all we do is we switch really fast. Here to here to here to here to here to here to here, right? And if you're like me and you've got a pile of kids at home, that's an inevitable part of our life sometimes. However, here's the next thing Newport talks about. The science also shows that every time you shift your attention from one topic to the next, 
it leaves behind something that he calls attention residue. It's like your attention is a big, it's a big bowl of glue. And when you put your attention on one topic, but then you move it to another, this sticky substance calls your attention, some of it stays behind. So now you've got a little less in reserve because you left an attention residue. And then if you switch to a third topic, there's more residue. And a fourth topic, there's more residue. And a fifth and a sixth. Every time we change the focus of our attention, we lose a little bit because we've left the residue behind. Well, the reason I'm calling this a training in preparation for life so that we hear God's voice is this. If I'm honest, and I bet if you're honest too, a lot of times when we try to pray, when we try to really create some space to listen to God's voice, I think if we're honest, we do it in a very distracted manner. Our attention is all over the place. But if we're going to learn to know the sounds of God's voice, one of the critical practices is going to be get all of your attention and put it in only one place on a regular basis for a sustained amount of time so that we can actually learn what it sounds like when God speaks. So that when crisis comes and we say, God, what should I do? We know in advance that if he speaks, we can and will hear him. So Paul shows us three little lessons. Can we make sure our life is integrated? Can we learn from our past by practicing self-reflection? And can we know the sound of God's voice by paying attention to the voice of God in our lives? And as always, that brings us to your move and my move. We know that crisis is going to come. We know the moment's going to come our way when we look around and we scream, what should I do? The only question is, Are we going to start preparing now for what we know will come later? So I've got three uh, kind of homework suggestions in mind. If you kind of, if it's resonating in your heart and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, Carl, I would really love to train this way a little more fully. Then I've put together three different activities that you can engage in today if you want. This week, heck, maybe it becomes a habit and a regular rhythm of your life. So here's my three homework suggestions for people who want to train for life. Journaling, scripture study, and our Centennial Covenant Church podcast called Centered. I'm just going to briefly describe them in turn, but what I've done is in the program notes, again, on the church website, centcov.org, click This Week at Centennial, I've kind of written out your homework assignments to hopefully help all of us be better trained to live our lives well. First, journaling. I've just spent a lot of time in my life journaling, and it's amazing how uh, just consistently true it is that sometimes I don't even know what I'm thinking or I don't even know what I'm feeling until the words cross the tip of my pen on the page. Journaling is a powerful tool for doing that work of self-reflection that helps lay a foundation for readiness for the future. If you've never tried journaling before, I'd really encourage you to do it. And here's kind of the assignment I'd give you. In this sermon, I just put a bunch of questions up on the slides, right? Are you living a fractured life or an integrated one? Have you learned the lessons of the past and are you laying a foundation for the future? Here's what I challenge you to do. Pull out a blank piece of paper. 
Maybe you've got your moleskin journal, notebook, whatever. can just be a blank piece of paper as well. Write down the questions from the sermon this morning. They're in the program notes. And just spend some time writing your answers to them. Don't worry. Nobody else is going to read this. You don't have to publish it. It doesn't have to be eloquent. All you got to do is create some space, put some attention on the paper, and spend some time in self-reflection so that you can be more prepared for the next time a crisis comes your way. Second, if you find yourself thinking, you know, my life is really fractured, and I'd love it to be a little more integrated, consistently studying Scripture is a powerful way to get more integration in your life. So I created a little Scripture study guide for you based on this week's passage. Here's the thing about Acts 18. Acts 18, which we just read, was written by a guy named Luke. But it was written by Luke, and it was talking about another guy named Paul. Well, it turns out that Paul himself also wrote about a bunch of these same experiences we just read about it, but Paul wrote in a different place. See, he wrote a letter to this church that he planted in Corinth. We refer to that letter as 1 Corinthians. You can find it in the New Testament in any Bible. So what I've done is I've lined up six different places that Acts 18 tells the exact same story as different parts of 1 Corinthians. Consider doing this. Go and read these two accounts, one in 1 Corinthians, one in Acts, and let that be a great way to study Scripture. And as you study it, you can ask yourself, what am I learning about the text? What is this showing me about my own life? What might be God speaking to me? If you want more life integration, consider practicing studying Scripture in a purposeful way. And I hope that activity might be meaningful for you. Third, if you know you just live a distracted life and your attention is fractured every direction and you want to become a little more centered so that all of your attention might be consistently put on God, check out our podcast. It's called Centered. You can find it by going to Spotify or the Apple Podcast app and searching Centennial Covenant Church Centered. There's a bunch of different podcasts called Centered, so put the church name in first so you find ours. We published a first season a few months ago, and it's still available, and it just teaches some basic spiritual practices, like breath prayer, which we practiced this morning, which are all amazingly helpful for helping you and me get my attention centered on God. We've also got the transcripts available on our church website And we're going to build actually a brand new website just for the Centered podcast. So everything on the podcast is also available online. Season two is going to come out next Sunday, and I'm really, really excited about it. But whichever of these practices you engage in, or maybe you've got other ideas of your own, here's the question I want us to come back for. Because we know crisis is going to come our way, because we know we're going to come to that moment where we go, what should I do? then I want you to ask yourself, how are you training today for the crises and the opportunities of tomorrow? There's one place uh, that understands this critical nature of training maybe better than anybody else. Uh, Namely, that is, just about any well-organized military knows that training is absolutely essential to be ready for the crises that are going to come your way. I've got a buddy, he was in the U.S. Marine Corps. 
And he told me this story about basic training and how one of the things he did in basic training was a program called the Marine Corps Martial Arts Program. And as he described it, again, I don't know, I wasn't there, but as he described it, this martial arts program really consisted of just a very small number of very basic moves. And what these people in basic training had to do was they had to do these martial art moves over and over and over and over and over. Then you go back to bed, then you get back up and you do it over and over. And he told the story about one of the moves in particular that when he learned it, he kind of thought to himself, like, really? Marine Corps? Is this the best you got? And the move was simple. You just took your arm, you just went like this. And they would just do this over and over. And my buddy would share how it just, he just couldn't wrap his head around, like, when I'm in combat, how is this really going to make a difference in my life? Because sometimes when you're in the middle of training, you don't see how the current training prepares you for the future. But turns out, when my buddy did do a tour of combat duty, and he found himself in a real combat situation, he actually learned just how critical that training was. He was laying down on a little embankment, and he was right here on the embankment, and a fellow soldier of his was right next to him. And the soldier was laying on his back, facing up on this embankment, and they were in the middle of active combat. And suddenly, one of the soldiers that they were fighting came over this embankment and had a giant knife that was coming down right at this soldier's face. I can only imagine that that soldier might have thought to himself, what should I do? Because I don't know of a crisis more crazy scary than watching a knife come at your face. And you know what that soldier did? While my buddy was sitting next to him watching, he did this. And that simple training meant that, yes, his arm was messed up now, but that training had literally saved his life. Which brings me one more time to the same question, because we know that crises are going to come our way, because we know that life is full of all sorts of scary things. Maybe it's not the same truly life-threatening danger that these people experienced in the military, but we know that crises come in all different shapes and sizes, and no matter what they are, they are always heart-wrenching and difficult. So since we know that's true, and we know that training can be the critical thing that makes a difference, how are you training today for the crises and opportunities of tomorrow? Here's the really good news. As people committed to following Jesus, we know that we're not training just to increase our own strength. Rather, we know that our training is designed to help increase God's strength in us. And God hasn't just told us that, but he's actually demonstrated it to us. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. The worship team's going to come back up. In just a minute, we're going to pray together a prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And then we're going to go into our last worship song. During the middle of that song, we're then going to celebrate 
communion together, the Lord's Supper, the meal that Jesus told us to celebrate regularly. If you don't have the elements of communion, some kind of juice or wine or some little morsel, some little morsel of food, I'd encourage you to go and get those now, pause the video if you need, and then come back. See, God wants us to know that when we train in life to stay attentive to him, to reflect on the lessons he's teaching us through life, and to integrate our life all focused on his mission, when we train in these ways, we can know not that we get stronger, but that God's strength increases in us. And God wanted us to know that so much, he didn't just tell it to us, he showed it to us. He didn't just want us to hear it, he literally wanted us to taste and feel and experience the truth of his life-giving presence inside of us. And here's how he did that. Jesus was eating a meal with his disciples. It was the very night he was going to be betrayed. And while he was eating, he took a piece of bread. And after he gave thanks, he broke it. The reason Jesus broke the bread was so that it might be an illustration, it might be a metaphor for how his own body would soon be broken on a Roman cross. And the reason Jesus' body was broken was so that by his body being broken, he might have the ability to heal any brokenness in our lives. The Bible calls that brokenness generally sin. And Jesus invites us to acknowledge that we have the brokenness of sin in our lives, but because his body was broken, he can take any brokenness from us. And Jesus said, my body is broken. Take this bread, eat it, so that you would always remember me. Jesus also, in this same meal, he took a cup. And he said, the wine of this cup is a new covenant. It's the promise of a relationship between God and anyone and everyone who would cry out and say, God, I need your help to heal my brokenness. And if we would do that, we can know without a doubt the promise that God will be with us. So that literally as we taste and feel the food and drink of communion going across our tongue and into our stomachs, we can know it's just as true that the life-giving presence of God is inside of us. But here's how I want to invite you to prepare to eat and drink. If you would, go ahead and close your eyes. And we already called up before the sermon. Uh, I know that many of us are in some crisis situations right now. I know that there's some big things, some heavy things, some hard things going on in our lives. I know also that many of us are struggling with the pain of brokenness in our lives. We've got some hurt. We've got some heartache. Actually, if you would, if you want to, if there's things that you love prayer about, um, just go ahead and write those into the chat section of YouTube right now. Uh, if there's anything at all in your life that you're just thinking, Lord, this is the crisis I'm in. This is the hard thing I'm in. Go ahead and put it in the chat so that our church can be praying with you and praying for you in this moment. I do want to mention particularly uh, longtime church member Lee Lounsbury. Uh, just on Friday, his wife Barb passed away. So do be play, praying for Lee 
and for the whole Lounsbury family. But as you're reading the prayer requests on YouTube, as you're holding whatever prayers it is on your own heart and mind, I'd invite you to take that all and put it before God as we pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray. After this prayer, we're going to go into a final worship song, and in the middle of that song, I'll come back up and invite you to eat the bread and drink the juice of communion. But would you pray now with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.